Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Hey everyone, this is Kurt and Katie from the future. We <laughs> recorded this episode a while ago and thought that this was an important topic that many of us are going to face in our practices in the coming months. While the episode talks about first responders and specifically police officers and EMT professionals, based on what's going on in the hospital settings now, we imagine that you can also just silently put in doctors and other healthcare professionals who are facing all sorts of work around medical trauma right now. It's so important for us to pay attention to this right now. And we recognize that as you're listening, it may feel a little bit off because we were talking kind of on the heels of some mass shootings and stuff like that. So we just wanted to put this preface so that you could contextualize it, but also recognize that this stuff is really important now for our medical providers as well. Take a listen and then join us over at the Modern Therapist Group on Facebook to join us in the ongoing conversations about how we navigate through these uncertain times. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast about all the things that therapists do and how we are. And occasionally we talk about working with special populations, and we have our good friend, Yael Schumann. She is here to talk to us today about working with first responders. I've always heard that this is kind of one of those populations that there, there's this barrier of you don't know what you don't know in working with us that kind of creates some just unique ways of approaching therapy. And we're going to dive into some of that today. But thank you for joining us today, Yael. Hello, and thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you here. And we so appreciate you bringing your knowledge and expertise. And but as, we, as we do, our first question is, who are you and what are you putting out in the world? So I'm Yael Schumann. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist in Denver, Colorado. I specialize working with trauma and couples, especially working with veterans and first responders. And I'm creating a trauma preparedness program for first responders. So I think that it may be beneficial for us to start out just with who is considered first responders and what makes working with them so unique. First responders are, think if you, if any kind of event is happening in your area, so police, fire, paramedics, you know, any of those people will be considered first responders. Yeah, this is where very obviously you're going to see clients like this running into issues of trauma, kind of some unique workplace culture aspects. How is it that first responders are, are really trained to be able to 
deal with some of this stuff in a proactive way and maybe some limitations on what it is that makes working with them so unique. So first responders are really trained in stress management and general well-being, but they're not really trained to how to cope with trauma and complex trauma and repeated trauma over time. So they're really not trained for that yet, at least not any of the trainings that I've seen. I'm researching what's out there in the United States or even in the world. This summer, I got the chance to meet psychologists from the German military, and he was talking, uh, they're researching this, and they're looking into it and trying to create more resiliency in their trainings. And he's like, there's just nothing like it in the world that really addresses trainings that really address this. And there's really no data research out there that's backing anything up. So I guess he and I are trying to <laughs> tackle this and take this on. What's different about this culture is, oh, there's, there's multiple issues here. History has been, if you say something, if you say you have an issue, it means that you can't deal with it, that, that you just don't have what it takes to really cope with this, that somehow you're broken. And so you get passed up for promotions. You might even get dismissed from your position. Oh, wow. That's so, horrible. So it, they're really reinforced throughout history. They really reinforce, don't say that you have an issue. Don't seek help. They have great fears that if they reach out for help, that it's going to get reported back to their supervisors that there's something wrong. And especially if you have something like PTSD, because again, then you've got something wrong, you couldn't handle it, you're broken. You don't have what it takes to do, be able to do this job well. And so we are really, as mental health providers, the chance of them even showing up to your office is minimal because of that. So that's a major hurdle that first responders have to overcome. I do see some changes, especially here in Colorado, but there's, but even in the EMS world that they are trying to change that they're, they're, they're asking for it. They're asking for how can we address these traumatic issues? We're losing too many people to suicide. How can we do this differently? And here in Colorado, I know for at least police officers, they are addressing resiliency and trying to change that. So I'm hoping at least the conversation is truly starting here. So that's some of what they're doing. The other piece is when they walk into the therapist's office, is the therapist really trained? Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do have they had specific training in the culture of first responders? Did they understand some of these issues and what they had to overcome to even get into our office to begin with? Are you trained and prepared to hear what you're going to hear? Because if they start sharing their traumatic experiences, can you hold that space without falling apart yourself? Because if you do start falling apart, they are going to stop because they like to protect. So they're going to go into protection mode and they're going to try to protect the therapist. You'll actually disrupt their ability and, and the dynamic to be able to help them at that point. So you have to be able to hold space for the trauma and to be able to be resilient, to be able to process that yourselves without affecting your client. I think it would be so challenging in the therapist seat, not having been a first responder to be able to sit with that because, because to me, and and this is me kind of imagining, so I'm going to ask the question, but I, as you're, as you're talking, I'm imagining what it would be like to go and rescue people from a fire and to see people that didn't make it out or to 
be at a, a, a shooting and and being and contemplating how to to handle that or contemplating the things that are are happening there. I think to me the way that I think about disaster or crisis or those types of things, oftentimes it feels very surreal. I think about movies. I think about things that are very curated in in how they're presented to me, and I imagine that stronger work with the first responder would be to be able to really be completely open and have a container for anything, no matter how disturbing it was. I think being able to share something that is extremely disturbing and not carry that weight by yourself, it to me seems like it would be a critical aspect of, of therapy. And so I guess, you know, I'm kind of coming around to the question, which is, what does it feel like to sit in that seat? And what do you really need to be prepared for? What are you, what are the types of things that you might hear and how do you how do you prepare for that? Okay, so some of the things that you might hear is certain things that trigger them. I, I think a common thing is especially when they find children that are harmed or deceased. Mm-hmm. That that especially hits home. You know, they might have kids their own that they have at home. And so it becomes very personal to them when they find a child in a car in a back seat. I heard a story of a first responder who that came upon a, a car accident and reached in to unbuckle the mom. And as they reached over to unbuckle the mom, they saw in the back seat a child who did not make it. And so that was the major trigger for them anytime they reached over to touch a mm-hmm. car buckle. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things I know I've also heard stories here in Colorado of some of the mass shootings and school shootings, sometimes the shooters, a, a you know, teenager or a child. And the thought of, I might have to go in and shoot a child. Oh, um, wow. So I think, I think it just hits them harder. It's not that, you know, the other kind of situations when they're working, dealing with adults and things aren't sometimes disturbing to them, but, but I've heard over and over again, when it deals with children, that becomes very difficult. And I think for the average human being, it is, you know, more difficult when you think of children. Oh, sure. So th- those are just kind of some examples that might might come in that they might talk about. Um, and as you said, if they find, you know, someone who didn't make it in a fire and all of that, that it just, it's hard for them. They want, they want everyone to be safe and okay. So anything short of that to them is unacceptable. They feel like they failed. Mm. And so they'll talk about all of that. My One of my favorite tools that I have, and the best way I can explain it is I have a basket and it's full of like wooden balls. And what I kind of explain to people, therapists and clients is, you know, how do we have boundaries with it? How do we not own what other people share with us? And so I talk about as if someone hands that basket to me and says, here, look at all my stuff you know, look what I, look what I experienced. And I can look at that basket. I can hold that basket and I can look at all the different balls. But then at the end of session, I'm handing it back to them because it's really their stuff. It's not for me to own and to keep. So I shouldn't grab one of the balls and put it in my pocket. No, you should. That's probably not healthy. (laughs) It is not healthy to hold on to it because that's how we burn out. (laughs) I think to work with this population, I think it's really important, first of all, to be a trained trauma therapist. There's a lot of trauma that goes, that's involved that you should always be looking at. There's a class through Emdria that talks about working with first responders in military and their culture and how to, how to work with complex trauma. And one of the things, E.C. Hurley is the psychologist that's doing the training. One of the things he talks about 
is making sure that you're assessing. You're assessing for the trauma. You should always assume that there's a trauma here, there mm-hmm. until you find out there isn't. <laughs> but that's so kind of potentially different from other clients with first responders. The assumption is that there's trauma. Yeah. Okay. When working with them, that the assumption should be that there probably has been some some trauma experience that needs to be addressed until you find there's none. The other things you always need to assess for is suicide ideation and substance abuse. And in my personal experience, if we don't ask the questions, sometimes they don't tell us. The clients don't share. I always, every session, ask all my clients, do you have any suicidal thoughts? Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I imagine for a lot of people in first responder situations that are arriving here that there's a couple of aspects that I'm just now arriving to that one is you talk about the isolation within the profession of not being able to talk with their colleagues for fear of those promotions. I imagine that for a lot of them, they have family members that don't understand what's going on at work, that there's a depersonalization that comes after the these incidents. And also just the potential for, especially in larger scale incidents, of the re-traumatization that can come with the news cycle and just constantly having information presented in a variety of different ways, even when they're off duty. I imagine that these are some of those things where, you know, as as therapists, we understand, you know, that there's that hard day at work where you just want to go home and you just want to kick your feet up and just not deal with anything else, that your your mental load for the day is is used up. I've got to imagine in that hypervigilance that comes up after these these incidents with first responders that they've probably got to be going through something very similar, right? Yeah. Imagine having these kinds of experiences that I described earlier and then going home to your family. Yeah. It would be really difficult. I know it would be difficult for me and I got training and I can contain and I have all these skills, but you know, to go home and try and act like life is normal and play with your kids and be loving towards your spouse. I mean, I think it would be very, very difficult. And I think they do really struggle to find some normalcy, to be able to put that that stuff away. So they do need ways to process it. They do need ways to cope with it. I do know that there's a big push, and again, especially here in Colorado, for peer support and to talk to peers, but it's still really not enough. And interesting enough, I was talking to Cindy Doyle, the couple she works with, 
And she was talking about how she really works with couples and really addresses some of the issues because this stuff constantly is coming home. It is constantly coming home. And I think the biggest thing they do is kind of shut down and just say, oh, it was a tough day at work. And that's when, you know, the beer comes out (laughs) and I'm just going to watch TV or I'm going to do something else. I'm going to try and disconnect so I don't take it out on my family. And I certainly don't want to share it with my spouse because I don't want them to get upset about what I experienced. I want to protect them too. Remember, these people are protectors. This community is, 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 is a group of people who want to protect us. You know, that's what their very essence is about. So they're certainly not going to go home and share with their spouse and, and let them know all the details about these things, even though that might be really helpful to them because they don't want to cause harm to their spouse in that way, emotionally or mentally. Yeah, I think to me, even, you know, when I was working in South Los Angeles, there were some incidents and I wasn't even directly there, but just kind of the vicariousness. I don't know how you talk about it, but I had a supervisor tell me something that was very disturbing. And to this day, I don't share it because it was so disturbing to me. I feel like it is something that would stick with someone else. And I'm like, well, I can kind of process it. I can kind of let it go. And, you know, and I only think about it kind of in these situations when we're talking about that stuff. But it was like, I don't want to tell anyone this because I don't want them to have to carry it. I don't want them to have to picture it. I don't want them to do those things. I also think, you know, thinking about first responders is that there's a, a level of danger. And I think about, you know, if my partner were to be in that situation, I would be terrified. And so anytime that would come back, I wouldn't want to hear about, oh, I almost got shot or, you know, there was suffering from smoke inhalation and I barely got out. Like, I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Like, I, I mean, of course I do, but I don't. Right. And so I would imagine that that would be this, this kind of agreement that work stays at work and that there is a focus on family and, and that stuff at home. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure each family does it differently, but but to me, it seems like there would be so much that be, that becomes very isolated. I mean, I think as therapists, we have all this confidentiality that we have to have and all that kind of stuff. But there's a there's still some stigma around us having difficulty. But there's there's this ability to do seek consultation and to have your colleagues and to go to therapy if you can get past the stigma for therapists and therapy. Like I th- think there's we have a little bit more, but there's still that, you know, I can kind of imagine the isolation and I'm, I don't feel like I'm facing life and death on a daily basis. Right. So to me, it just seems like there's, there's a lot of barriers for these folks to be able to get the support they need. And then if they walk into a therapy room where they feel like they have to protect and take care of the therapist, it seems like it would seem hopeless. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly it. It's hopeless. And I tried this and it didn't it, look, it happened. And yeah. then, and then they say, okay, well, this wasn't a good idea after all. Mm-hmm. So we really need as therapists, we really need to be prepared. Yeah. If you're going to see first responders, you need to be prepared. You don't want to send someone saying, well, I tried this, this didn't work. Forget this. Yeah. You want to be able to, to really meet the needs of that client because that might be the only time they try for it. They try to get help. So to address that a little bit more head on, like, what are the mistakes that therapists typically make? Because obviously us like melting down, it's a big mistake. I'm thinking about Lucifer. Do you guys watch Lucifer? It was the Netflix show. So there's a, a therapist who is the devil's therapist and actually finds out he's the devil. He like shows his devil face and then she just completely melts down and kicks him out of the office. And he's like, I won't spoil the rest of it. But it's, but it's this idea of there's something so horrible 
inside, like the devil or, or, you know, what you've experienced. And then the therapist just completely lost it and like, was like, and like could not even handle it. So that was what I was picturing when you're talking. So (laughs) I'll give her the permission to cut that out if you want. (laughs) Um, But, but so besides melting down, what are the things that therapists oftentimes get wrong with first responders? Like, I think I mentioned it before, but it it is understanding the culture, understanding what they face, understanding some of their fears or their concerns and worries. I think you really have to understand that culture. So if you've not gotten trained in that culture and truly trained, it's not me giving you this, this podcast and then, you know, so people aren't trained right now. Like they can't know, like they've listened to the podcast and now they're good to go. No, I would, (laughs) I would say take a more thorough training and really understand (laughs) the culture for first responders. And I'm taking multiple classes and advanced classes because I just want to make sure that I'm really going to meet those needs. I think assessing for suicidal ideation and substance abuse along with trauma is incredibly important because these are common issues that they face. And if we're not, and sometimes they will not bring it up or they'll once tell you at intake, no, not a problem, but it might be really a problem. So it's just, I mean, I know if you say, oh, you have substance abuse issues and they say, no, I've had clients who say, no, it's not a problem. And I'm like, oh, do you drink alcohol at all? Yeah, I have a beer. Oh, how many beers do you have? Well, I have a case a night. So you really have to ask pointed questions and ask detailed questions to really get a, a truthful answer. And I yeah. think this is something you really need to explore and talk about and, and attend to. And then also be able to, like I said, be able to hold the space, you know, not having a meltdown, not having, I've heard stories of, of therapists asking for a moment to get themselves back together and leaving the, you know, the session to be wow. able to do so. And, you know, I'm not trying to shame any therapists, but that's going to shut your client down. For sure. And that's almost the worst thing you can do to this client because they're not going to, they're not going to feel okay opening up to you because they're going to want to protect you. And you've, you've shifted that dynamic of who's taking care of who. Those are the major, major things that therapists really need to watch out for. Those are three, you know, major mistakes mm. that you can make that, that I would make sure you're really prepared to hear what you might hear and experience and that you're really ready, open to explore and really look at what their issues might be and what hurdles they need to overcome to be able to do their job well. When it comes to kind of these coping mechanisms, the substance use and all of these other things that can show up that, you know, if you are well-trained and you are now pointedly asking for, what kinds of protective factors do we start introducing with first responders to help them be able to cope in ongoing ways dealing with not only the the single incident traumas, but the cumulative traumas that are coming up? So I think we really need to focus on resiliency, the neuroplasticity. I mean, these are words that, that are getting batted around a lot in our profession. And I think we really need to look at those. The biggest thing, I'm trained in EMDR. So the biggest thing I've seen in my office is that when I'm doing phase two of EMDR, we're talking about resourcing and and giving coping skills and ways to contain and to be able to focus. Think of mindfulness exercises, all the things, you know, different things we do to help prepare someone to be able to process trauma in a safe way and feel like they have control and they can handle things are, are ways to help our first responders stay within the moment when they're facing a traumatic event. And so what what happens in their neural pathways and the cognitive messages that they get is, I can handle this, I can contain this, 
I can be in the moment and make good decisions and then process the trauma. What I'm suggesting is not that we're going to be able to keep them from experiencing trauma, but Mm -hmm. how can they experience trauma in a way that I can handle it in the moment? It's not going to impact me as negatively. And I, and I can kind of hold it together until I can get treatment. This makes sense to me as a fellow EMDR practitioner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like nodding and I'm thinking maybe I should ask more questions. (laughs) Uh, And and, I mean, I think that this really does speak to that the understanding of the culture, the understanding of trauma, whether you're an EMDR trauma therapist or one of the other modalities of, of working with trauma, but of really understanding trauma and really understanding the culture that comes along with the territory of working with these kinds of clients. And to really embrace that, you know, this is not, you know, that wonderful therapist like feel your feelings while this is going on because that gets in the way of, of a first responder's job. It's being able to attune and compartmentalize with intention, not getting that thousand yard stare after, you know, what the hell just happened that is going to be territory for uh, especially law enforcement and people who are in really potentially violent, ongoing sort of, you know, critical situations. The aftermath is, you know, some of the stuff that Yael has spoken about, but really being able to intentionally go into that kind of attention and that attunement is so key. And, you know, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of phase two work within EMDR. It's not just the finger waving aspect, but it is really being able to do (laughs) that resourcing in a really good way that is so important across all kinds of trauma. But what I'm picking up from Yael is just that this is what helps people go to work and be able to do that job to protect us. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, phase two EMDR is really about resourcing the client, giving them skills. So when I get triggered, when I have things that feel uncomfortable in my body, thoughts, negative thoughts, things like that, how do I cope with that? How do I stabilize myself so I can do what I need to do right now. Those are key things that your our first responders need to be able to have, right? They still need to be able to do their job even if they're getting triggered. They can't go, oh my God, I'm getting triggered right now. I just need a few little bit so I can get myself back together. They need skills that they practice and rehearse on a regular basis that they can kind of just go into and kind of go, okay, like, um, well, Kurt will know, but you know, there's, there's something called container where you practice that and I can put this aside. I can feel like the, whatever's the sensation or the thought process or whatever picture I'm having in my head that I can put in my container and that I, and that I can kind of address what's in front of me at the moment. Or if you're trained in complex trauma, there's some dissociative type of techniques and things like that you can, you, you can work with to help parts work and things like that can help us kind of be in the moment and kind of address that part that just popped up that said, oh, this is really uncomfortable. This reminds me of that other time. And you're going, yes, I know this does remind me of that other time, but I need to address this time. And it just gives them the skills to be able to do that. And a lot of these processes, if you practice it, happen within seconds. And I've seen my clients do it over and over again without going to phase four, which I'm actually processing the trauma with them. You know, way before that, I'm creating stabilization. I'm creating these skills where in their day-to-day life, they're practicing them and they're going, I'm okay. I'm okay. I can handle that. I'm in control right now. 
that even if I have these things happening, I'm going to be okay. And what an incredible gift to give to our clients to be able them to have that cognitive message that says, I'm going to be okay. I can handle this. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So as a non-EMDR therapist, I just want to make sure I'm totally understanding because, you know it's important to understand. What I'm hearing is is two things. One is I'm kind of imagining being a trauma therapist where someone is chronically going to be traumatized, that there's not like this trauma in the past. It's I kind of see it as this this ship or this little boat with a, a hole in the bottom. You're constantly bailing out water. <laughs> like, that's kind of how I was imagining. Like, you know, it's not just that I had this horrible traumatic experience. It's that I go to work and I'm traumatized all the time. And so so that's kind of how I was picturing is like, oh, that's I hadn't really thought about it that way. It's obvious. It's not like this amazing insight, but I was like, oh, okay. So this is something where oftentimes when I'm doing the little trauma work that I do is it's a, a long past trauma and what comes up, you know, currently is oftentimes triggers. It's not I'm I'm experiencing a new trauma, you know, frequently. You know, it's it's right. not part of how I, I move through the world. So that was like, okay, so that's a big difference is that you, in some ways, and this is, this is how I'm hearing the resourcing and kind of the container and the practicing skills, is it seems like you're pre-treating the trauma. Like you're putting the stuff in place so that they can kind of manage the trauma as it's happening. Right. Not like processing it, but like, under, like coping with it as it happens so it becomes less traumatic or, or kind of ongoingly traumatic, but that it, it's this thing of having the skills to face trauma better, which I hadn't really thought about like, but that's, I mean, I, I know that that's possible, but like, it's, it's kind of a, it's such a structured format where I have these resources, I have these specific skills. And so I can face a trauma that I know I'm going to have to face because I have these skills on board. So did yes. I catch it? You did, yay. <laughs> I, would, I do want to make sure I, I am speaking this clearly for, for everybody, not just for EMDR therapists, but yes, yes, you did. It is about trying to, so it's not just, my idea is why wait for the trauma? Why mm-hmm. wait for these populations, these communities that we know I have a high likely and a high risk for trauma. Why wait till they experience the trauma and then do that uphill, you know, climb to try and, you know, get around it and process it and get ahead of it. Why aren't we doing it way ahead of time? And this is where, you know, really in the course that we're totally going to let you talk about here in a moment that you're developing, but in, (laughs) in presenting this to first responders and the oversight organizations is, you know, as a, as a preemptive measure, phase two work of, you know, it's like you sign on for the job, you you get your uniform, and it's immediately just phase two work of, you know, preparing yourself. It's not, I'm going to outthink my trauma. There's plenty of research that suggests that that is just the worst way to go into it. It's not this, you know, tough bravado of just like, I can handle everything, but it's being able to accept that this is a tough line of work and that to do ongoing work in it involves attuning to yourself. 
Right. And think about it. You know, when first responders go to their basic training, they are taught over and over again how to do their job. You know, the tactical parts, jumping out of windows, being able to, you know, for firefighters, you know, they have to know how to jump out of a window and get down, you know, I'm down out of a window if there's a burning building. They need to know how to to get through a smoke-filled room and, and, and find their way through to get to the exit. But they're given very little time for mental health. Same thing with police and EMS and you know hospital staff and everybody who, who deals with these, these events. They're given very little time for mental health. And how, you know, I think we need to also emphasize as mental health practitioners to our counties, to, to our cities, that you know, to our state, that how important it is to provide mental health to these communities. Because what happens, it costs money. It costs them Mm -hmm. money. They put so much money into training these people. They put money into training them to to get them out there, to give them the gear, to do everything. And then if they're traumatized over and over again, and they're not given the support they need to be able to cope with that job, what they need to be able to do to be able to do their job, they lose them. Mm-hmm. It's a loss of revenue. It's a loss of money. It's a loss of investment we've put into our first responders. And they're constantly have to retrain new people because of it. It actually makes sense to put it into the training and it's just not there yet. So hopefully, you know, as behavioral health practitioners, we're also going to start talking about it more and, and trying to get uh, the training in for longer periods of time. Because right now it's, it's a very small amount of training hours that are put into mental health. So you are working on this course and yes. tell us a little bit more about what you're putting into it and what you're hoping to do with it. Yeah, I, I know I've had this thought about this course for quite some time, this training. It really came to me when I was working with a juror from a case that that dealt with a, a mass shooting. And I was her EMDR therapist and I helped her through it. And then I said, hey, you know, how did they prepare you for to see all these horrible things you were going to see? And basically, she was told, hey, you're going to have to see some distressing things. If you need therapy, we'll pay for it. Wow. And that was it. And I thought, wow. And this was a really high-function individual who couldn't even go to work. Just would cry every day. And so I thought, that's ridiculous. Why aren't we giving them some kind of coping skills to be able to process what they're about to see and still be, you know, they'll still think it's horrible and that kind of stuff, but it's not to the point where they're no longer functional. And so kind of got me thinking how this can be applied. And I was so, you know, I kind of went for jurors, but then you have to kind of go through attorneys. And then I kind of started looking more at, well, gosh, you know, I work a lot with veterans this would have been really helpful to them. And look at our first responders. And these are people who have to deal with this all the time. And so that's what really got this program started. And what I'm trying to get out there is we can do better to support these communities of people who serve us, you know, who protect us. So it really was, how, how can I create that resiliency? What, what programs are out there? And I was looking what programs are out there. I was researching it a whole lot. And, and it really has to do with mental wellness a lot of the programs that are out there and trainings are out there right now to prepare them for what they experience uh, out of the University of Arizona. I mean, they've got wonderful programs that, that they created, but it really was stress management and just regular well-being. So they talk about the importance of, you know, eating three nutritious meals and getting your, you know, approximately eight hours and getting your exercise in on a regular basis. They talk about peer support. 
They are talking about going to see a mental health practitioner, but you still have that stigma of not wanting to, you know, to not get your promotion. So you don't want to put yourself out there in that way and ask for help. So, you know, we're, we're still fighting all these kinds of things. And I've been actively talking to our first responders here in Colorado, trying to get this program in. And I'm currently on a subcommittee for mental health here in Colorado. That's for law enforcement to help look at train their training and see what we can do and adding more resiliency to it. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm just and I'm talking to you all to uh, say, hey, we can, do, we can do better. We can do better to ser- serve our first responders. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you being here and sharing this. Where can people find you? So I have a website. It's Schumann, S-H-U-M-A-N, psychotherapy. Hopefully you all know how to spell that. Dot <laughs> <laughs> um, com. So you can find me there and uh, you can email me at yshuman at schumanpsychotherapy.com. And we'll include links to those in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're there, hop on over and look at our Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference. It's coming up here at the end of September. Back here again in the Los Angeles area with our presenting sponsors, Simple Practice, helping us out with CEs for all sorts of therapists. If you are interested, and you totally should be, (laughs) check out all of the information about that, including to make sure that your CEs are covered. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy and our guest, Yael Schumann. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest-rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.